the darkness cries a long mournful wail that wreathes through the gnarled cypress branches like a breath of Hades wind skipping over the placid surface of the stagnant mire below. This is Bayou Country, home of the muck and crusted mockery of a man known in the shadows as Swamp Thing. What could this mossy man-brute know of love? He is a shambling, pitiful creature trapped in a spiral of torturous despair. It would take a special soul familiar with such torment to crack his heart wide open. Her name is Abigail Arcane. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lee Saw Skullickson. I'm Brad Bullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four color realm. This month we're exploring our humanity as we wade into the muck with Abigail Arcane and Dr. Alec Holland, a.k.a. The Swamp Thing from DC Comics. And we're applying Commons Let Love Have the Last Word to their relationship woes. Ooh, our spooky voices aren't as good as Darren's spooky voice. I think we just need to channel our inner Vincent Price. Like, uh, who, who? No. Yeah. No, I don't have one I don't of those. Think we, I don't think we have those. Uh, so <laughs> I think men- mine is Dr. Fibes. Oh, oh. Ooh. I need my organ. <laughs> Many thanks to Darren Smith at the Disco Dork on Twitter for supplying the intro to this month's episodes. It really puts us in the Halloween spirit. That's right. He knows how to m- make atmosphere. He does. Yes. You're you're not talking about farts, are you? I wouldn't. The Disco Dork <laughs> has, in my experience... Never done such a thing. Okay, good. Uh, Gosh, I am so glad we are finally digging into the swamp, into the muck of the relationship between Abigail Arcane and Dr. Alec Holland. I've been waiting to do this series since we launched Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. That blows my mind because... As far, as deep as my knowledge goes, uh, they're not a couple, Brad. Uh, well, you know, these first uh, 13 issues, uh, you, you, the, the relationship, they've barely even met, e- met each other, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Swamp Thing has his, his own uh, stuff to worry about. But what's kind of cool about that is, you know, we're at the beginning of the relationship. We get to see what they were like before they were lovers. Well, I'll I'll just have to take your word for it. Though I think it is good like that Swamp Thing doesn't go into a relationship immediately because Linda's dead. Cuz Linda's dead <laughs> and you know, you can't really start you don't really have a foundation for a relationship unless you really truly love yourself and Swamp Thing not there yet. Not there. 
Uh, yeah, and if there's anything scarier than a uh, new relationship, it's self-discovery. <laughs> uh, and such terror is perfect for October, which, of course, is my favorite month of the whole year. Forget December, right? Yeah, Christmas can suck it. Yeah, Halloween is where it's at. This October, for the first time in like five years, the Baltimore Comic Con did not fall on the same weekend as either Lost Weekend or Fantastic Fest. So we got to go. Yes, and it was so fun. We it bought so many comic books, Lisa. Yes, we dropped a lot of <laughs> a lot of cash. But they were all on like deep discount. Yeah. And we are eventually going to own all of the comics that exist. Sure. So ultimately, we saved money. What's so cool about Baltimore Comic Con and separates it from places like San Diego and New York is that it is a true comic book convention. That's really all they care about. Uh, there are a couple pop culture signings uh, on the fringes of the convention center, but it's really about scoring, you know, comics. Uh, collectibles and nabbing the occasional autograph. And we finally got to meet face to face with Mitch Jarrods and Tom King of Mr. Miracle and hand out our comic book couples counseling podcast business cards to them. And that was super cool. I can't believe we worked up the nerve because <laughs> I was so nervous and soup's awkward. Uh, you were nervous and you were a little awkward. I don't know if I would classify it as soups. And I, I find that kind of interesting, Lisa, because you've interviewed so many cool people. You know, we've talked about our recent conversations with Bong Joon-ho, the director of Parasite, Takashi Miike, the director of First Love, uh, you know, and you were cool as a cucumber with those guys. Because I'm a, I'm the type of personality that likes a job. Like I'm, you know, like interviews are fun and amazing and we clearly get a lot of a lot out of it yeah. but at least it's in the context of we're going to promote your film so it's like we're helping each other and not be a total fangirl moment yeah i literally just waited in line to fawn <laughs> yeah, and yeah. um it's i it don't know it was adorable and they were super cool hopefully they were charmed by my awkwardness I, question I, mark. I, th I think so i think so <laughs> Uh, so if you are in the Maryland, Virginia, D.C. area, put Baltimore Comic Con on your list. You'll have your own awkward encounters with guys like Mitch Jarrods and Tom King. I also had an awkward encounter, Lisa, with William Stout, the poster illustrator. That was amazing. Uh, yeah, and we came home with, like, I don't know, like, 25 trade paperbacks that we purchased at $5 a piece. Yeah. Yeah. And I got a uh, super cool lounge fly purses. This one looks like a 90s Cyclops purse. So cool. So cool. And it, I cannot wait to take it out. A little jealous. A little jealous. <laughs> uh, but we've been blathering on long enough. Go to Baltimore Comic Con. Yes. Send some love to Darren Smith at the Disco Dork for his really rad intro. Yes. And let's get into Swamp Thing. Woot. Lisa. I'm a massive Swamp Thing fan. You I've are. loved the character since I was a kid. I first encountered him through the Wes Craven movie. Actually, it was probably the sequel, The Return of Swamp Thing, which had Heather Locklear as Abigail Arcane. And then there was the cartoon series that I was really into. And another cool thing about Baltimore Comic-Con is that I found a dealer who was selling all the toys based on that cartoon series for an incredibly expensive price, so I didn't buy them, but I got to ogle their packaging, and you know yeah. how I like to ogle a packaging. You do love to ogle a package. But I didn't really get into the Swamp Thing comic books until I discovered Alan Moore through Watchmen and From Hell, and then I eventually got to his Saga of the Swamp Thing comics. 
And then I branched out into all the different interpretations of the character through various artists. But Lisa, I, I think you really haven't seen much of Swamp Thing at all. You've read very little. Yeah, I mean, considering what a huge fan of Swamp Thing you are, uh, I'm kind of surprised you haven't really shared it with me. Sorry. I feel like... I'm doing it now. When, like, when you introduced me to Swamp Thing as a concept, I don't remember going like, Swamp Thing, who's that? I feel like I zeitgeist knew Swamp Thing. Yeah. But, like, I didn't know there was a cartoon show of Swamp Thing. <laughs> well, you have read a little bit of the character. He did appear in that Aquaman trade paperback that we covered during our Arthur and Mira series. That's right. Sea of Storms. Yeah, Sea of Storms. And um, he didn't seem to be a relationship kind of guy. It was just, you know, him and the green yep, hanging yep. out. And the green doesn't even come up in these early comic books. That's an Alan Moore thing. Yeah, yeah. It's not part of his power set. And it's funny when you go back and you read these early issues, I deeply miss the green. Okay, uh, again, I, I I mean, I'll take your word for it, uh, the green. <laughs> so we're kicking off our Swamp Thing and Abigail series at the very beginning. We're going to talk about House of Secrets number 92, written by Len Wein and illustrated by the legendary Bernie Wrightson, who we last talked about during our special Creep Show bonus episode from a few months back. We love that art. Uh, the art is, the, like, it is perfection. Yeah. Bernie Wrightson's art is perfection. Uh, now, that first appearance depicts a Swamp Thing that is very different from the character as he would become later on in the series. Ween first imagined the Swamp Thing character. Uh, actually, is it Ween or is it Wine? I took four years of German, and I think the second vowel is what you pronounce, so I guess it's Len Wine? Ugh, um... I, I don't know. Do you really want to go back no. and re-edit it? No, anything? I don't. Let's just... I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Wine now. Listeners... If that's wrong, let us know, because uh, we're Americans and, and we need to be educated. Uh, so anyway, Led Wine first imagined Swamp Thing in the fall of 1970 while he was racing to the DC offices to pitch a story for the House of Secrets anthology series. He was on the subway and sweating bullets because he had zero ideas. The idea of Swamp Thing, a mad scientist ambushed by a ruthless friend as a means of scoring with his leftover widow, <laughs> just jumped into his mind. So imagine that. Who knows what the comic book landscape would have looked like without this desperate grab for a concept. Uh, yeah. What would Alan Moore be? And without Alan Moore, what would comics be? House of Secrets number 92 was a massive success, and DC Comics publisher Carmine Infantino immediately asked Wine and Wrightson to transform the concept into a series, but they resisted. The character had grown to mean a lot to both creators, and they worried that stretching the concept into a monthly title would diminish its uniqueness. A whole year went by, and Wine finally came up with an idea of removing Swamp Thing from his Victorian setting and placing him into a modern-day context. Suddenly, he was all excited again and convinced Wrightson to go along with a monthly series. Wine and Wrightson worked together for the first 10 issues, and they sold quite well, but Wrightson did not want to stick around. The artist felt like his work at DC had become too mechanical and too easy. He left the company and color comics for a whole bunch of time uh, because he wanted to pursue the growing black and white industry instead. Wine continued on to the series until issue number 13 with artist Nestor Redondo. 
Of course, these issues did not just introduce Dr. Alec Holland, a.k.a. Swamp Thing, but the characters of Matthew Cable and Abigail Arcane, characters who mostly chased Swamp Thing around in these issues, but would grow into serious supporting players later on in the continuity. So if you're looking for a lot of kissy-kissy talk on this episode, you'll be sorely disappointed. Boo! (laughs) As we've already stated, we're mostly just observing the beginnings of Alec and Abigail's relationship. Fine. Fine. Uh, But Lisa, to do that, we're using a very special guru this month. Tell our listeners what relationship doctor will be guiding our conversation this week. This week and this entire series... Our love guru is the Grammy Award, Golden Globe Award, and Academy Award winning musician and actor and writer and philanthropist, Common. I picked his book, Let Love Have the Last Word, because we've been wading deep into the realm of doctors, and the last few... Dr. Sue Johnson, Dr. Esther Perel, Dr. Alexander Avila... They've all left me kind of cold. We miss Brene Brown. We do so hard. All of these doctors claimed to have this academic, scientific perspective on love and relationships, and they all came out with contradictory opinions. So when I saw that Common had a perspective on love, I thought, why the hell not? Little did I know, Let Love Have the Last Word is not a self-help book about couple love, but more about agape love, the universal overarching love that we should have for our fellow man. Mm. But as I read part one of this book, I couldn't help but draw parallels between Common and Dr. Alec Holland. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I I think that Common and... Dr. Holland would have a lot to talk about. (laughs) I am really excited. (laughs) First and foremost, both Common and Swamp Thing have a marked change in their life that made them distinctly different than who they were before Uh with entirely new identities. So Swamp Thing goes through this terrible accident and he becomes, oh, reverse that. Dr. Alec Holland goes through this traumatic experience and he becomes Swamp Thing. Common grew up on the south side of Chicago as Rashid, which is the name his mother gave him. But in 1992, he decided he wanted to become an entertainer and he changed his name to Common Sense and created this entire persona that made this division between Rashid... Mm. Interesting. ...and Common... The Entertainer. Common opens the book by describing trying on clothes in Beverly Hills and looking at himself in the mirror and thinking, like, is that me? Who who am I really? And Swamp Thing does that a lot. All the time. Yeah. He's always looking off deep into the bog and going like, who am I? What is that reflection? Am I this person from my memories or mm. am I this monster? They are both trying to define humanity. What makes humanity? Common believes that the key to humanity is love. This is a quote from his book. There is something human in the desire to love and to be loved. Those things are treated as separate desires, but they are the same coin. So who you are as a person is related to 
how you want to be loved and how you want to give your love. Hmm. They are both defining their human existence by looking backward Mm -hmm. into their memory. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. this book is largely a memoir and Common is looking to define love by reflecting back on his experiences. Here's Here's another quote. I take the position that I know nothing about love and neither do you. At the same time, I know everything about love as do you. I have my experiences and you have yours. So just like Swamp Thing, he's going back to his experiences in the in the past to describe who he, who he is in the present moment. Um, Common also is a Christian, and I'm not sure yet if this is a religious thing for him or if this is just part of his spiritual practice. Like, I don't know if he, like, goes to church, but he definitely uses Christ as this reference of who he should strive to be to be become in better touch with that love and that humanity. Both Swamp Thing and Common are seeking what Common calls an authentic life. For Common, love is a verb. It's an action that you take and the way that you love in the present moment is the key to everything. It, it connects us to our highest self, our, our authentic self. Common is inspired by people who have lived what he calls the authentic life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Muhammad Ali, and Maya Angelou are all named checked in this book as his heroes or his mentors, because they have a a singular focus, a laser-sharp dedication to a goal and a new world. And despite difficulties and their their personal limitations, they resolve under all circumstances to pursue that Mm. thing. Common recalls working on Selma. He was... I think he got his Academy he Award did. for the, the yeah. song that he wrote for Selma, and he was also an actor on that movie. And he found himself strongly relating to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s flaws and how he had to continuously recalibrate his life to become mm. a better person. Common actually carries a lot of guilt that his daughter, Amoye, questions his love for her because he... pre like she perceives that he prioritized his career over Uh being the best father. I I could see that happening. She actually called him out at a family get together where like, um, like a bunch of family members were joking that he should find a wife so that he can have another child. And she goes like, I don't want him to have another child because that child is going to get a more present father than what I got. And (laughs) yeah, it cut him to the quick. And then later she brought it up again in a phone conversation. And at first it made him defensive and ashamed, but that confrontation made him decide, resolve to strive to do better and to be better. It was a major recalibration moment for him. He wants to be her hero, but first he has to acknowledge who he is and then have that laser sharp resolution. 
Common quotes Marvin Gaye, God is love. I don't know if Marvin Gaye was the first person to say God is love, but in the book, that's who he He's credits. He's the coolest person. He is the coolest person. And Common believes that to serve God is to serve people, families and communities, as well as caring for yourself. He believes that there is an ideal version of himself that can be found in the light of God. Both Common and Swamp Thing have deep sorrow attached to their personas. Common sees himself as a musician, an actor, a philanthropist, a public speaker, an activist, a television producer, a brand spokesperson, while still a son, a father, a friend, a man of God. But he is not a husband. And that is something that he does strive for, and he feels an absence of that in his life but he's not sure if husbandship is something that he can have as common so just like swamp thing Uh who goes like at the end of this volume he goes like i can't be connected to matt cable and Abigail Arcane. My place is in the swamp alone because that's who I am. I am Swamp Thing, whether I want this or not. Yeah, he's banished himself by the end of this book. Right, and I think that Common, he is an icon. Uh He is a guy who has achieved greatness, but can he find someone who will love him for... Rashid, uh-huh, 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 you know what uh-huh. I mean? He, or whatever his authentic self is. Interesting. There is, a like, I've listed all of these things, but there's obviously a lot that separate Common from... The Muck Monster? From the Muck Monster. <laughs> um, Common believes that his Common persona brings him closer to his authentic self, while Swamp Thing yeah. feels like his persona has made him... has bastardized his authentic self. Yeah, Yeah, completely. Also, and I think this is going to be interesting as we go through this series, Common is a man of God, but Dr. Alec Holland, Swamp Thing, is a man of science. And there are lots of moments in this book where Swamp Thing is in crisis over his inability in his new form to connect with with science and at the end of this volume he has this glimmer where he does go like well heaven truly must exist uh-huh, uh-huh. but it comes from a very dark and damning place wait till you get to the alan moore books and the green i am so stoked yeah, you know, I, I, I really would love to hear from our first-time listeners who have just wandered in. They're like, oh, I love Swamp Thing comics <laughs> and have wandered into the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast to hear how Common is going to comment on the relationship between Alec and Abby. What if we have some Common fans wait in here and go like, well, now it turns out that these Swamp Thing co- comics are about my idol. Hey, comic, Common is a big geek. Common is a comic book dude. Uh, so, you know, I, like there's a, there's a lot of crossover with these two communities of fans. Sweet. Maybe we can get Common on the pod. What do you think? Uh, I'll get on that. <laughs> so let's get into the comics themselves. Yes. Uh, as we stated last week, we're jumping all around the first 13 issues of Swamp Thing. 
We're starting with House of Secrets number 92, then we'll talk Swamp Thing issues 1 through 3, and close out on issues 11 through 13. Because really, 11 through 13 is where Abby and Swamp Thing have the most interaction during the Bronze Age. So, putting a plot synopsis together for these books is rather difficult, but let's give it a go. House of Secrets number 92. Sometime in the last century, Alex Olsen not Alec Holland, and Damien Ridge had been best friends. However, they both vied for the affections of a woman named Linda. Linda eventually married Alex, and Damien had to endure his heartache in the form of the supportive friend. But his desire for Linda overrode the bonds of friendship, and he conspired to eliminate Alex. He sabotaged the equipment in Alex's lab, causing an explosion that killed him. Keeping the knowledge hidden from Linda... Damien buried Alex's body in the swamp. Dun, dun, dun. Swamp thing number one. We switch Alex for Alec, and the inciting incident has less to do with romance or lust and more to do with corporate sabotage. Alec and Linda Holland are concocting a top-secret bio-restorative formula for the U.S. government, and they are being watched over by DDI agent Matthew Cable. He does a terrible job because a trilogy of goons working for the diabolical Mr. E attack the Hollands and blow up their lab, which covers Alec in the formula before he dives into the swamp, transforming him into the swamp thing. Linda is also killed by the goons, but when Cable comes to the crime scene, he witnesses the muck monster that was once Alec Holland and believes he's responsible. He becomes a man on a mission. Swamp Thing is captured by a grotesque collection of mutant unmen and dragged to the castle of Anton Arcane, who wants to free himself of his decrepit body by stealing the Swamp Thing's muscular frame. In the village below Arcane's castle, Cable meets a young nurse named Abigail. She's the niece of the evil Anton, but she seems cool. <laughs> okay, now Swamp Thing issues 10 through 13 are a weird collection of stories that finally bring Abigail and Alec together. Uh, but it also deals with an old phantom stranger villain named Zachary Nail, dinosaurs, and evil G-Men. Gosh, Lisa, I can't describe any more of this plot. Let's just get into this discussion. I think we should start with a direct comparison of the two origins of Swamp Thing. House of Secrets number 92 and Swamp Thing number one. So Dr. Alex versus Dr. Alec. Yes, Doctors Olsen and Holland, head to head. Uh, House of Secrets is like a vaguely Victorian, star-crossed, lover, one-off story. It's a Tales from the Crypt episode, right? Or an issue. Uh, it's very EC Comics. And as we talked about in our Creep Show conversation, Bernie Wrightson's art is made for this era of storytelling, right? And... In the confines of House of Secrets number 92, it's perfection. Not to say that I don't love his art in the regular Swamp Thing series, but, you know, it, it starts to become more of a superhero comic and fall into the tropes of stories that you would see, you know, Green Arrow and Batman dealing with, uh, although with some vague castle trappings here and there. Uh, but... House of Secrets number 92 is a pure one-and-done story uh, that, again, is not necessarily um, wholly original in concept, but super effective in its execution. 
Yeah. You do see in the two stories, though, some thematic relation where um, they both deal with being lost in the past, being lost in memory. Losing yourself. Right. In 92, it's really Linda who is lost in memory, and she's thinking about her deceased husband all of the time that her current husband, Damien, the friend who... Is a murderer. Right. Um <laughs> He, he feels like he's not getting the proper amount of attention. He's feeling neglected because she's not there. Well, mentally because she's and emotionally. still, she's married to a ghost or a so swamp thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she thinks. And swamp thing too has, like, he also, he might have a little lack of clarity to, that he doesn't seem to have in swamp thing number one. Where he knows that Linda is a person of significance to him. He knows there's a history with this home. But I don't know how much of his past life he remembers, but he does feel this connection. The Swamp Thing in House of Secrets 92 is more monstrous. Uh, I would also say that Linda gets a lot more time in 92, whereas in Swamp Thing number one, she is really just a body. Right. Right. And that, you know, that body then becomes a memory that carries on through the rest of the first 13 issues. I want to put a pin in that because I do want to address that. I think another thing that really puts 92 apart from Swamp Thing number one is that all of the romance storyline, all of the origin storyline is in the past. Uh Uh-huh. And him being Swamp Thing is in the present. Right, right, right. Where in House of Secrets number one, he is Swamp Thing. You mean number 92? No, in number one. So you mean Swamp Thing number one? Yes. In Swamp Thing number one, we do see Swamp Thing at the beginning of the of the comic, but that's more of a flash forward. Right. And the origin story is the present. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Uh, which is uh, a, a clunky narrative device that got used a lot in classic comics, but I'm so glad we've kind of gotten rid of. It doesn't really happen again in Swamp Thing, though, from what I've read. Like, right. it always opens on Swamp Thing alone. The only difference is, is in Swamp Thing, number one, he True. isn't technically True. Swamp Thing yet. Yeah. Um, the other big difference is that Swamp Thing, number one, has to open up the world with more characters, and that's why we get somebody like Matthew Cable. Right. And... While I think Cable becomes a more interesting character farther into the future of this series or character, here he is such a distraction. And every time we are stuck reading the thoughts and words of Matthew Cable, I just want to get back to Swamp Thing so bad. I know, but there are certain issues in this Bronze Age volume where the like it feels like the story that Swamp Thing is going through is, is secondary. Not, is not moving the plot forward. Yes, yes, where yes. Where what's happening with Cable is. Yeah, yeah. Because Swamp Thing in the series after House of Secrets ninety two, he's a trapped being for the entire thirteen issues for all of the Bronze Age volume one. He is trapped in the idea of oh my god, I'm no longer human. What am I? Despair, despair, despair. 
Right. Now, where I think Swamp Thing number one is vastly superior to House of Secrets 92 is the fact that we really do get to see Swamp Thing have a cathartic outburst of rage. And at the end of the first issue, when he lets loose on those goons and he goes, stop! And we have that splash page where Swamp Thing smashes his fists into the hood of that car. That is a momentous page and it feels good. And you don't have that sensation in House of... Secrets number 92. But I think that goes back to the idea that these are two, they're two different genres. Right. So I think that what equals that moment in House of Secrets 92 is the heartbreak, the the degree of heartbreak Swamp Thing feels Mm -hmm. when he realizes that he has saved his beloved's life and she has one, no idea. She thinks that another tragedy has happened that has killed yet another husband. Yeah. And two, she can only see him as a monster. There, there is, There's no reconciliation for those two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is a satisfaction from a storytelling standpoint in House of Secrets 92, but because of the genre, it's just a different kind of feeling. Right, where the superhero comic is... It exists to elevate, uh-huh. while the horror comic exists to decimate and despair and all yeah, that goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Cool, cool, cool. Now, one of my favorite things about reading this comic book together is we were in the same room, and you had just started House of Secrets number 92, and I think I was reading uh, the week's floppies or something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And you got to the end of that issue and then jumped right into Swamp Thing number one. And you were surprised by the time jump and a little disappointed by the time jump. Yeah. Yeah. What actually happened is I finished the uh, House of Secrets number 92 thinking it was Swamp that Thing it one. was Swamp yeah, Thing yeah, 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 one. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, our bat-eared listeners from last week know that uh, House of Secrets 92 was not part of the assignment. But I just opened the book and just started reading the first page because I can't follow directions. Um, So I finished that first issue and I was like, wow, we're reading this cool Victorian comic. And and you were like... um, you that but that's not the first issue of the comic and i was like oh no <laughs> yeah i was disappointed but you know it is what it is well what why why were you disappointed because you prefer gothic so, horror because it was so unlike anything we've read yeah, so but, far but because it then jumps into more of a typical superhero narrative you were a little aggressive towards that first issue you were mad yeah i was <laughs> i was there are certain changes that I wonder about the motivations of, in particular, the choice to kill Linda as opposed to keep Linda. Right. Because if Linda is still alive, there is this redemption motivation of somehow convincing her that he is a true man, even underneath all of the muck. Uh-huh. But with killing Linda, we just have like he he has no reason to live. Yes, and he spends the majority of these comics, as we were saying, despairing, right? 
and uh, questioning his humanity. But I'm just wondering if if it's like a marketability of the comic. If it's like you know, you th- do you remember that scene in that thing you do where Liv Tyler <laughs> yeah. is like, "Why are you mad that you that they said on television that you were engaged?" And it's oh, like yeah, that yeah, idea yeah. I of do. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that idea of well, you can't have a member of a boy boy band attached, and you can't have a superhero. I mean, but we know that's not necessarily true. There's Lois and Clark. There's Peter and MJ. But in all of those, you get the shipping story where we started Swamp Thing with Linda. Right. I guess Fantastic Four. That's the the, example of they were always together. Well, there's a a version of this comic where it is a shipping story, where we're not covering the inevitable relationship between Swampy and Abigail Arcane, but the relationship between Swampy and Linda. I know, but now he has this history where he... the way that the comic presents it is Alec Holland and Linda had the perfect relationship. Right. They had shared interests. They had mutual respect for each other's education and each other's talents. And, like, to me, that's not the kind of relationship that you you get over so easily. And then... Well, he clearly doesn't in Swamp Thing. And for I think a few that's, issues. Uh, I, think, I think that sends him into the despair. Like, the point of this comic book is to fully isolate Dr. Holland from his humanity. And that is probably why Len Wein, Len Wein killed uh, Linda. But I think that the tragedy at the end of 92 is more profound because but it's also she so still contained. lives she still lives and yet she does not recognize him and i think that that's just a really interesting angle to yeah, go into I, a comic with i think with. you could totally write a really great comic with that but if that is the origin it radically alters what swamp thing becomes right right it would tie him to linda there'd be many many more panels of swamp thing looking through windows he is and- always going back to that dumb bayou like he <laughs> he can't he even just to look at the lab in different states of decay like yeah. everything goes back to that lab Right, and, but and so, sometimes he's just looking at the lab and going like, "Remember the time I had a lab?" When Linda doesn't even come up. When Alan Moore gets a hold of the character, it's clear that he wants to explore the relationship of a muck monster and a human woman mm-hmm. with Abigail Arcane, and you know he still manages to discuss the nature of humanity through a romantic lens. Right. And th- it actually highlights all the drama and, 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 and just the emotions in general. What do you think that Len Wein was thinking, though? Uh, I already said Linda? what I thought he was thinking. He wanted to completely isolate him from the world. He wanted to make him a man of nothing. He wanted to make him a muck monster or a guy who sees himself only as a muck monster. And I think that that idea of only being a muck monster would have been way more painful if his wife was still alive. Probably true. That's probably true. And, you know, this is a very cliche manner of just fridging the wife to motivate the man, you know? Right. Especially, like, to me, I think that it's a downgrade. And the fact that they have to build the character up from this place, I think is less interesting. Yeah, and it takes a long time. Yes, 
but of course, at the end of both issues, the muck monster is very different. You know, the muck monster at the end of House of Secrets number 92 is more monster than man. But this swamp thing, Dr. Alec Holland is still very much inside the creature. Yeah, and that's something that concerns me because Dr. Alan, Alec Holland, even though he has this muck monster exterior, interiorly, he seems mentally fully intact and yet he feels not human. Oh, a big portion of that is because he has difficulty speaking. And as somebody who really has, like loves Swamp Thing as he is today in the comic books and vocalizes no problem. <laughs> like I really want Swamp Thing to communicate with the outside world. And it's almost impossible for him in these first 13 issues. Right. But I'm thinking about more of the self-talk that Alec Holland is having with himself. The mm. fact that he has he has clarity of memory. Mm. He has all of his scientific knowledge. Mentally, he is not diminished in the least. And yet he goes, he looks at himself and goes like, I'm ugly. I'm covered in roots. I'm not a human anymore. Where I feel like when you describe someone's humanity, you don't like look at their exterior exterior and go like that is a human person that is a great example of someone's humanity you look at their good works you look at their kindness you look at their compassion and you go look at that person's humanity yes and no i mean sometimes you look at a physical specimen like chris evans and you go that's a man that's a big chunk of man but you don't say like look look at um america's ass that is a great well maybe i would that is a great example (laughs) of humanity (laughs) that's humanity's ass that's humanity's ass uh poor swamp thing he has no ass But Lisa, you must have been a little happy in Swamp Thing number two when the comic does become a little bit more gothic, a little more horror-ish with the introduction of the Unmen and Anton Arcane, the crazy scientist up in his castle. Yeah, I actually find Dr. Arcane to be a really psychologically interesting character. Mm. It's clearly a reference to Island of Dr. Moreau. Yes. But I like the fact that he has been creating these bodies, these vessels for himself. But once he has created this life, he has this profound love for them. They become his pets. They become his children. And the fact that he's taken care of in one issue. Kind of. And yeah. Yeah, more or less. And then we have the the Frankenstein patchwork man in the next issue. And then Anton Arcane eventually becomes the great nemesis of Swamp Thing. No way, because I thought he plummeted to his death. No, no. He comes back. Nobody dies in In comics. He comes back in uh, issues later in the Bronze Age volume that I had you skip. Oh, I'm stoked. (laughs) Okay, that's great. Lisa, in comics, in storytelling, a plummet (laughs) to the death is never a plummet to the death. I'm just very gullible. I I take it at at face value. I'm like, he's gone. All those pets dead. I didn't know there's like some kind of trampoline situation (laughs) under there. Boing, boing, boing. They're sturdy. They're very sturdy. Uh, There is one moment in this issue that I really want to talk about, and that's the eye care moment. Hmm. Dr. Arcane more or less captured Swamp Thing. He trapped Swamp Thing. But now he's in this negotiation and Dr. Arcane is going like, don't you want to be human again? 
Don't you want to be back in your body? Don't you want to rejoin society? And um, uh, and we know that Swamp Thing has a lot of trouble with vocalization in his new form. And Dr. O'Kane goes, Dr. Holland, what's wrong with you, man? Don't you want to be human? Don't you care? And then there's this panel where Swamp Thing yeah. turns to Dr. Arcane and he has, you know, his red eyes are enraged. And then you see um, in the very next panel, he has the most pathetic expression and he says, I care. It's awesome. Bernie it, Wrightson, yo. It's so beautiful and so expressive. And then he does go through this entire enchantment and he does return to his human form. And who knew that <laughs> Dr. Alec Holland ripped? Yeah, he's a beefcake. He, he looks like Chris Evans. He does. He does have America's ass. <laughs> well, you can't tell because of all of that crosshatching. <laughs> I only need one crosshatch. Uh, on uh, humanity's ass, and that's just a straight line through the middle. Oh, okay. Mm. Ooh. Um, but we know how this issue turns out. Alec Holland finds out that... Anton's a monster. That's right, and he's <laughs> going to use his form for revenge, and so he upsets the enchantment, and he returns to the Swamp Thing form, and... Status quo, back to normal. But what I wonder is would he have given up his fleeting humanity so easily if Linda still lived? Mm, so if he could go back and, you know, return to a relationship, it would make that decision even more difficult. But what you learn in this issue is that Dr. Alec Holland is an incredibly moral human being. Uns unselfish. Yeah, and the way comic books were in the 1970s, they would never allow him to choose such a selfish act, even with Linda. I think the conversation would be maybe a little more tense, but he's still going to make that choice. I think he could have returned to Linda, found Matt Cable. Like, you were, you remember that Swamp Thing? It was me. Apologies. Lisa Gullick said, you are not writing this comic book, and they never would have allowed you. No, because I'm a woman. Oh, because you are, you have modern ways of thinking. Oh, yeah, You're that's using true. your 2019 brain. You got to remember <laughs> this is 19, what, 70, I said? Yeah. yeah. Heroes have to be heroes. You know, these are still children's comics speaking to a young audience of, of, of impressionable minds. So sorry, Linda. <laughs> You're dead. You got to go. And Alex never coming Get back to you. Get in that fridge. Get in that fridge. All right. So Swamp Thing number three is the first appearance of Abigail Arcane and her dad, the patchwork man, brother of Anton Arcane. She has a lot of trauma that yeah. in, in this first volume, not addressed. She seems pretty happy-go-lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. For all of the moralism you said Dr. Alec Holland has in giving up his human form, his ripped human form uh -huh. so easily, he does start the next issue, The Patchwork Man, with regret. And he wonders, like, he, and he mourns having his humanity, or what he considers his humanity, ripped from him a second time. And... It starts this discussion 
about Swamp Thing and how he feels like he's been condemned to solitariness. Right. But it doesn't make him any less of a hero because of the choice he had to make. He's allowed to be mopey. Yeah, he's soups mopey. (laughs) Um, What I find interesting is he has that thought of, I'm alone, I'm terribly alone, right after he has this idea of, I could go back to the United States and get in touch with one of my science colleagues and go, and he, they could help me. And at that moment, that's when the floor crumbles underneath him and he's now underneath the castle. Right. So, so even the environment, he has the thought of reaching out to someone and the environment is like, no. <laughs> yeah. The environment or God, he's cursed. Yeah. Um, We haven't really talked a lot about Matt Cable. Because he's a total snooze. He is, but (laughs) not only is he a snooze, but he is the most self-absorbed man (laughs) on earth. Yeah, yeah. He makes uh, Alec Holland look very, very altruistic. Yeah. Like, I am amazed by the fact that Matt Cable can drop everything for this very personal quest. I'm like, aren't you a lieutenant or something? Like, don't you have a job? <laughs> this is his job. Isn't He's a man on a mission. He answers to? I'm sure he like sent a cable. Oh, cable sent a cable. But there's like this moment where he's He's met Abby while he's doing his investigation. She is the one hot chick in this very small old-timey gothic town. She's got that white shock of hair with a little black streak in it. I kind of, like, that would be a great cosplay. Yes. Um, And you could be Swamp Thing. Uh, That would be a much more challenging cosplay. (laughs) More likely, I'll be Matt Cable, human Uh. dud. (laughs) But, uh, so, they're standing at the base of the mountain, and she looks up, and she sees her uncle's castle engulfed in flames and she goes like oh no my last living relative we have to save him and matt is like it's too late and besides i also lost someone in that fire because i was chasing this really bad monster guy and honestly i can't tell who's lost more (laughs) (laughs) i'm just like whoa matt yeah very smooth yeah 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 but lisa the most important moment of this entire comic book is the meet cute between abby and swamp you would call it a meet cute it is sparkless (laughs) so um swamp thing once again has rescued matt and Abigail. Abigail was going to fall off a bridge with the help of the patchwork man slash her dad. Um, they rescue Abigail from falling off of the bridge and he's cradling Abigail in his arms and she's traumatized because she, she just realized that that monster was actually her father. And um, Swamp Thing just goes to Matt and goes like, hands her over and then says like, if you want this girl so badly... You can have her, Cable. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's not love at first sight. No. No, not like our love. That's right. And then Abby decides, like, she's going to drop her entire life and then just join Cable's quest. The motives, the motivations of which she questions, because the very next issue, she's like, why are you doing this? But um, I just think that that's a little bit odd considering that she is a medic in a very small town she's the only medic apparently right and and 
we when we meet her, she's having this very positive interaction with this child from her town, and she gives him a lollipop. And, like, I feel like in this small town, she is doing vital work. Yeah, too bad. And the fact that she would just drop it to join this maniacal man on his very selfish quest is bizarre. Well, once you see a muck monster, you got to know more about that muck monster. And isn't Matt some part of, like, some kind of military entity? Does she enlist? Is, like, this her job now? Uh, She's deputized, maybe. We don't see that. That's off-panel, Lisa. Okay, okay. But we got to get on to the rest of this comic, right? So from issue three, we jump to issues 11 through 13, which is where we see the most interaction between Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane. It's also where we lose Bernie Wrightson and gain Nestor Redondo. And I like Redondo's art, but he's nowhere near the master of the muck monster like Bernie Wrightson. What I miss about Bernie Wrightson's design over this design, the Redondo design, is that uh, Swamp Thing is too smooth. Yeah, he's very muscular. He's muscular. He's smooth. It opens with... Um, Swamp Thing standing and staring into the bog once again. And he's standing so long that roots, he takes root by accident. And he, and that, he does not like no, that. No, he does not he like finds that very irritating. But like as a reader, I get super excited about that. I want more of taking root. Yeah, but I, like to me, I just miss that texture. Like yeah. I, I would believe Wrightson's Swamp Thing taking root, but like to me, I just don't feel like he looks like plants. He looks like the Hulk. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. I do like some of his monster designs, especially when we start talking about the Conqueror Worms specifically. Yeah. Uh, and his facial work is great, but that's not my Swamp Thing. Yeah, well, while the physical differences are annoying, there is a very interesting character turn that we begin to see in this particular issue with the Conqueror Worms. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and and we've seen this foreshadowed in other issues, like in Dr. Arcane's castle when he goes into the lab and he realizes that in his present strong form, he's unable to handle delicate laboratory instruments. He's starting to lose his faith in science and he starts engaging in what like a a super secular scientist would think of as magical thinking Mm. we've seen him go like oh well i could go to the united states and get in in touch with you know scientists and perhaps they can cure me or um i noticed that there is like this chemical element in the water that is transforming all of these creatures maybe that chemical is what can turn this transformation I've gone through around. But at the beginning of this issue, he is recalling that at some point that I did not get to read, um, a starship destroyed his lab. Yes. This is like, what, like the third or fourth time his lab has been destroyed? Yes. (laughs) But he's looking at the rubble of his laboratory and he thinks to himself, What terrible crime did I commit to deserve a fate like this? So he's beginning to believe in fate, where if you have a fate, that means that there is some kind of 
creator or greater intelligence, perhaps what common might call a god, that is determining where he goes in life. And I think that this is something that is new to Dr. Alec Holland. For sure. And it's opening him up to the possibilities of the green. Ooh, I don't know what the green is. I vaguely knew. I'm excited about the green. Yes. Later in this issue, we do have an instance where Abby sides with Swamp Thing over Matt. And that is when they discover that the Conqueror Worms are actually the masterminds and Zachary Nail is just this pawn in their scheme of collecting human beings for food. What did you think about Zachary Nail? I thought he was kind of, I don't know. Uh, we've seen like in lots, there's been a lot of like eco-terrorist yeah. type characters in comic books where you have like someone with good intentions but goes about it in absolutely the worst way. Yeah. Um, I like the idea of a biodome. I always have. <laughs> when you read all 13 issues of this run, of the Len Wein run on Swamp Thing, there are so many invading forces that, for me, don't feel like a piece of the puzzle. Well, right? Zachary Nail is from another comic, right? Yeah, he's from the Phantom Stranger. He's a villain of Doctor 13. Uh, I don't really know much about him at all. But you have that. You have aliens that drop in. You have Batman comes in at one point. Batman? He does. You missed Batman. How could I have missed Batman? I'm sorry to deprive you of oh, Batman. Oh, there he is. Uh, and and it, it still feels like Len Wein is figuring out what kinds of adventures this character of Swamp Thing should be going through. And while Zachary Nail comes into his bog, it, it, it feels, he doesn't feel like he fits really to me. How big is this bog? It's pretty big. Where you can literally lose an entire isolated world yes. in the muck. Yeah, yeah, it happens, And Lisa. hide enormous worms. Have you ever been to Louisiana? I... I can honestly say I have not. There are large swamps. Oh. There's there's Jean-Claude Van Damme's hiding down there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Batman hangs down there sometimes. Well, lots, lots, of, lots of things are going on in the swamp. Okay. Any hoozles. Uh, they're escaping the biodome. Matt wants to get Zachary Nail. And, but Swamp Thing is in his gestures going like, there's no time for that. We've got to get out now. And Matt seems to be singularly focused, but it's Abigail who says like, this swamp dude seems to know what he's talking about. So let's just do what he implies with his gestures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, clearly Abby is building some kind of trust with Swamp Thing. Is it a foundation of trust that we'll build to love? It doesn't look like no, it. No, no, no sexual tension between those two. <laughs> And there is such a great cliffhanger at the end of issue 11 where Swamp Thing comes across this magical jewel-like stone and he touches it and he is transported to dinosaur times. Yes, and ironically, an amazing cliffhanger, super boring issue. I know, I hate this issue. <laughs> it's the worst. Issue 12, The Eternity Man, uh, you know, he, he he squares off against this dinosaur, and you're like, yes, Swamp Thing versus dinosaurs. But then he's teleported to gladiatorial times, he's teleported to medieval times, he's 
he's following this character known as Morbius, who fell Mobius. in Mobius. Mobius. Like the Morbius strip. is the Matrix, yeah. Like Mobius, the, like the strip. Yeah. He's following Mobius through time because Mobius once spurned a witch who cursed him to this stone and immortality. Now, I think that it wasn't like a curse, like he wanted the stone, so he romanced this witch, and then she finds out he was just into him, her for the stone, and it hurts her fifis. It's a kind of curse, though. Yeah, it, well, eventually, he does regret having immortality, and the comic ends with him asking Swamp Thing to kill him. And Swamp Thing won't. And he won't, which I but. find very interesting, because... On multiple occasions, when Swamp Thing is mourning his humanity... He wants to die. He, he No, he refers to his body as an instrument for murder. Like, like, clearly the only point of this kind of strength is to take life. Yeah. But Swamp Thing, in this particular issue, solidifies solidifies the idea that taking life is does not fit within his morality. But he does the Batman Begins thing at the end of this issue where he's like, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm also not going to rescue from drowning out of this bog. Right. But he does mention, like, I have a feeling that he's coming back anyway, considering <laughs> he is immortal. So I'm just going to hide this jewel and just, and I'm going to put out like a fancy rock on top of it. And hopefully just no one will find it. This is one of those episodes of Lost where the past episode, you're like, oh my God, what an amazing cliffhanger. What's going to go on between Abby and Swamp Thing and Matthew Cable? And then, oh, distraction issue, distraction episode where we're going to bum around time for a little <laughs> while, uh, you know, like stretch, stretch our, our, our episode lengths, and then we'll come back to the actual story we care about. Meanwhile, Matt Cable is just being the worst. Well, yes, because in issue 11, we're also introduced to that man, Bolt, who is a very stereotypical white guy's interpretation of a black exploitation character. He's basically doing Fred Williamson, who uh -huh. did play a character named Bolt oh. in an okay movie. Okay. Uh, and the dialogue between Matt Cable and Bolt is extremely cringeworthy. At one point, he accuses Bolt of reverse racism. <laughs> of being, He calls him a bigot because Bolt wants revenge on Swamp Thing, even though it was Zachary Nail that killed his lover, Ruthie. Yeah, and he just doesn't like him because he's a plant man. Uh, it's extremely uncomfortable Ugh, and awful. awful. And I I really was like, why'd I pick these issues for Lisa to read? <laughs> Let's just move on to number 13. Yes, please. The Leviathan Conspiracy. This is the issue where Dr. Alec Holland is ultimately betrayed by science. He ends up being captured by Matt Cable and turned over... To the DDI, right? Right. And and they end up putting him in, like, this kind of glass container and there... And with this Professor DeGray. And Professor DeGray um, plans to study him and then have him stuffed and put in the Smithsonian. I would love to visit Swamp Thing at the Natural History Museum. Even as a child, I found all of the stuffed animals in the Natural History Museum so creepy. Oh, I love 
loved it, and I still love it. Oh, gosh. I love the Natural History Museum. It's I, for science, Lisa. I suppose. <laughs> but um, this is also the issue in which Alec and um, Matt Cable end up alone, and Alec is finally able to tell him, like, I am Alec Holland. Yeah. And uh, Matt Cable end up ends up going to Abby, going like, Turns out Swamp Thing is my buddy Alec. Like, what should I do? And she tells him to follow his heart, which is exactly what Common would say. <laughs> yeah, so they rescue and free Swamp Thing from the clutches of our government. Uh, and, and that's all well and good. My big disappointment of this issue is when Swamp Thing finally opens up to Matt Cable, he tells him what's been going on for this entire run of comics, and it's all done in caption. And here's an opportunity where we could have really seen Swamp Things speak, right? You know, he speaks in bursts up until this point. And I want to see a full Swamp Thing conversation. I think he needs to, like, warm up, though. Like, but, am- but in the storytelling, he is unloading his whole narrative to Matt. But the way that it is communicated oh, yeah. is through caption and panel flashback. And I was like, no, I want to hear this conversation. I want to be in the room with these guys. Please put me there. And Len Wein refuses. Oh, uh, that didn't occur to me at all. Super frustrating, I said. Well, I've I've already read the comic and I know everything that happens and I don't need to hear Swamp Thing say it. Whatever. <laughs> Ultimately, they do break Swamp Thing out. And, uh, but unfortunately, Dr. DeGray caught some bullets in the crossfire. Weirdly, Matt Cable is put in charge of his down-low funeral. (laughs) So the way they smuggle Swamp Thing out is they say that there's like a false bottom. It's got to be a pretty, pretty deep (laughs) bottom. Wouldn't anybody notice that Dr. DeGray is sitting on top of like four feet? Of man, swamp man. (laughs) Bizarre. But... Swamp, once the funeral is over and the people have dispersed, Swamp Thing crawls out and he discovers that Dr. DeGray was buried in the same graveyard that have his and his wife Linda's gravestones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's confronted with his death once more. Yeah, and he is hit with this wave of guilt over Linda's death and he starts really going in this pity spiral of going like there's nothing that Matt Cable can do to help me mm-hmm. and I don't like I have this weird swamp thing disease I don't know if it's like communicable yeah which is was very strange it's like why, why does he assume that How- Matt Cable could catch swamp It's weirdly never come up before. Yeah. But what happens is Swamp Thing decides to go back to the swamp and just be alone for the rest of his days. So Len Wein ends the character kind of where he began in full despair. Except now he seems to believe in God because he's thinking of Linda and he goes like, well, surely... Linda must be in heaven because I am in hell. Yeah. And that is the first time where this man of science goes a hundred percent. Like there is a greater intelligence 
and he has it in for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So as we wind down this episode and we look at Swamp Thing and his relationship with Abigail or lack thereof, what do you think Common would say to Dr. Alec Holland in his oh, Swamp like, Thing state? Like to console him or, or to encourage him? Or, yeah, just anything. Like, what would be Common's take on it? And, you know, how would, how would he communicate with Swampy? I think Common would encourage Swamp Thing to lean into his altruistic side, the side of him who wants good for humanity, the side of him that respects and wants to preserve life. Because you think about um, Common talking about his heroes and how his heroes became who they were because they had a laser focus on this idea of a better world. And I think that Common would tell Swamp Thing to focus his energy away from himself and towards his tendency to want better for others. And I think you're going to be happy because I feel like Dr. Holland does go on that path eventually. He takes Common's advice. I think he would yeah. if given it yeah. because he is a soldier of the green. He is the green. He is Earth's protector. And that is his ultimate purpose in life. Uh, he just He just doesn't know it yet by the end of this book. He's still trapped in the trappings of House of Secrets number 92, the emotional hell of being a muck monster. Mm -hmm. That's clearly what interests Len Wein. That's not what's going to interest Alan Moore when we go to our next episode. Wonderful. And that brings us to the portion of the show where we decide what we have learned from our experiences with Common, Dr. Alec Holland, and Abigail Arcane. There's not a lot of relationship material no. here, mm -mm. but I do think that there is a lot to talk about in terms of the idea of universal love, the the love that fascinates common. I think that um, in this particular volume, this Swamp Thing is like an example of what not to do when you're in crisis. So many comic book characters are, as we've discovered through this podcast. That is very true. Where, like, when you're in crisis, like, you shouldn't just go back to the compulsive thinking of what a terrible situation that you're in. Swamp Thing really is at his best when he is thinking about others, when he's thinking of rescuing the people from the worms or though he does become eventually resentful of it, of how many times he has to rescue Matt Cable and <laughs> Abigail, he still finds the motivation within, within himself to do it. And I think that there is something to Common's motivation towards the authentic life, that the idea that there is an ideal version of yourself where if you think altruistically about serving the world and being of service to a greater future, that you can become 
a better version, maybe the ideal version of you, like his heroes. You know what I thought about a lot while reading Swamp Thing? Ooh, what? Brene Brown. Really? Yeah, and how she talked about how humans tend to trap themselves in narrative. Yeah. And Swamp Thing, because he is despairing so much, and totally reasonably, by the way, you know, these are only 13 issues. He's been a muck monster for a very limited amount of time. His life sucks. Yeah, it's not a good thing. Like, I understand his pain and his suffering and his self-loathing and his confusion, but he, he does keep falling into the despair pit, right? He can't pull himself out. And the only time he pulls himself out of self-loathing is when he is interacting with humanity. Yeah. Whether that is Anton Arcane, Abigail, or that dud Matthew Cable. And in allowing others into his circle, he frees himself of the narrative that he has built in his head post-transformation. Yeah. Oh, so he should ask him the Brene Brown question. What is the story you're telling yourself? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I love that. And we have seen him grow, like you were saying. He is starting to consider aspects of life outside of his laboratory. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is a fate out there. Maybe there is a God out there uh, watching over me, condemning me. Uh, And... He needs to open himself up to other possibilities. And in doing so, uh, I he'll, he'll find his purpose, which is the green. Yes, and his authentic self, which is whomever. Right. Is right. it Swamp Thing? Is it Dr. Alan, Alec Holland? Is it both? Well, that's, that's an interesting point right there. You know, he keeps thinking of himself as Dr. Alec Holland. He now needs to consider himself as Swamp Thing. I think the opposite. I think he thinks of himself as this muck monster where he is still essentially a human being. Yes, but it's trapped from the point of view of Alec Holland. He needs to shed that point of view. He needs to become the Swamp Thing. That the the Swamp Thing is something greater than the muck monster and Dr. Holland combined. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. The idea that I'm interested in seeing developed is Swamp Thing's relationship to the higher power. Because for Common, he finds his relationship to God to be this empowering thing, to be this uplifting thing. But up until this point, well, through this point, what uplifts What has been uplifting Dr. Holland is this idea that science can save him, that the answer is going to be found under a microscope or through experiments. And for him, the idea of a higher power is the idea of the the universe conspiring against him. It's this, like, for him to admit that there is a god is to somehow admit defeat. Mm. And you're saying that there is this idea of the green out there, that the green is going to become his higher power. And I'm interested in seeing how that changes the psychology of Swamp Thing. Yeah, 
Me too. I'm so excited for this series, Lisa. Me too. But we can't get there without reading some comics, Brad. So what's coming up next week? All right. So we've knocked out the origins of Swamp Thing and Abigail Arcane. So that means we have to cover the classic works, right? And we've already alluded to it. Yeah. Alan Moore. Uh, There are so many amazing comics from this run, and you could pick any number of them and have a good time. But the most significant volume of the series with a strong focus on Alec and Abby, in my mind, is volume number two, which covers issues 28 through 34 of the Saga of the Swamp Thing, as well as Swamp Thing Annual number two. Amazing. Well, for our love guru, if you're reading Let Love Have the Last Word along with me, this week I'm going to read part two. Luckily, this is a four-part book, so this is going to line up perfectly. So I'm going to read part two, and I hope that you do too. I cannot wait to read what else Common has to teach me. Well, and it'll be interesting to see how his points of view come into conflict with maybe Alan Moore's points of view. Yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm anticipating some challenging thought there. I'm hoping that uh, his life continues to perfectly parallel Swamp Thing <laughs> and that um, spiritually they are best buds. They are common and Swamp Thing are yin and yang. All right, let's find out. Okay, Brad, enough mucking about. Let's end this episode. Where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. Uh, this Saturday, uh, hopefully, you listen to this episode and you have enough time to get out to Winchester, Virginia to Four Color Fantasies Comic Book Shop because one of my favorite artists and writers, Jim Rugg, will be in attendance. From Cartoonist Kayfabe. From Cartoonist Kayfabe, premiering the new volume of Street Angel from Image Comics, Deadliest Girl Alive, which is a compilation of all the Image books that feature the character Street Angel. I'm a huge fan of the comic, of Cartoonist Kayfabe. I'm really excited to meet Jim Rugg and give him a business card of Comic Book Couples Counseling because, man, we have some rad business cards thanks to Aaron Prescott, a cool hand fluke on Twitter. He is an amazing graphic artist and infinitely generous to the Gullicksons and all of our creative endeavors. Yeah, so I'm spreading those cards all over town. If you want one, follow us on Twitter. We'll follow you back, will we? Sure. Is that a good... Our DMs are open, Lisa. Oh, I don't know how Twitter works. (laughs) So DM us your address, and we'd be more than happy to send you one of our business cards in the mail because we are so proud of the design that Aaron has put together. It's so, so cool. Uh, Lisa, where can our listeners find you online? I am always accepting words of affirmation. It is my love language. At Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. And you can commit to this podcast by following us on Instagram and Twitter at CBCC Podcast. On our Instagram, we do have some pictures of some rad cosplay we saw at Baltimore Comic Con. And subscribe to this podcast on Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, you can give us the gift of five stars. And why not? Write us a couple of words of affirmation in that review. It would really warm my cockles. Uh, On top of warming Lisa's cockles, gross. (laughs) It does help our podcast a lot reach more listeners, so we would really, really appreciate it. 
But guys, until next time, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Doopy doopy.